Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And we're live. <laughs> live? Like right now, right now? Not, not then. When is now? When will then be now? <laughs> Soon. Okay. So you can is, keep that in there. It'll show up somewhere. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever recorded a podcast while seeing the person online. Yeah, it's like, a little weird. I think you should keep this at the start. Honestly, it's great. <laughs> it's a little behind baseball for a season finale. And there's no crying in baseball. Exactly. No, no there's crying anytime because crying is healthy. And now that we're totally not starting yet, we should start now. Wink, wink. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Transporter Lock Podcast, episode number 98, for Friday, March 18th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagne, and here is my co-host, the Captain. Wow, it's a little weird seeing you actually point at me. Hello, I am Captain Sabriel Maston, and where's your presto change button? I, I, I'm not helping you. <laughs> and also, podcasts don't have presto change buttons. Um, sorry, Ken, that was a quote from the episode. I didn't mean to throw you off. Uh, no, <laughs> believe me, I got it. Uh, we are having some fun, our, my captain and I, because we are using a new recording program. The output and experience for you, the listener, should be exactly the same. But Sabriel and I are actually able to see each other and not in person like we were when we recorded Star Trek podcasts a few months ago in Fargo. I suppose so. we could have done this in other ways, in other means, but it just didn't occur to me. <laughs> I'm not going to oh, lie. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are a lot of programs that would do exactly this, but we just thought we'd try something different. Yeah. So we are now, I can actually just turn the camera on down to engineering. Wow, engineering looks like someone's kitchen. I did not realize that. <laughs> I engineer some amazing dishes in this space, you know. You like uh, to come down there more often. <laughs> well, this is the first transporter lock I've recorded from this space. I'm in Laconia, New Hampshire, which is somewhere we've also been, not just mm -hmm. Fargo, but we've also been in Laconia because it's home to Funspot, the world's largest video game arcade. Totally coolest arcade as well. Yes, and they have the Star Trek game. I think we may have talked about that mm -hmm. on a previous episode. Yeah, last week. Uh, I unfortunately have not actually gotten to the arcade yet. I have four podcasts I'm recording this week, uh, a magazine I'm publishing, and it's just been a little frenetic. But soon. Soon. So shall we talk about coming home? Yeah, so this is Discovery Season 4, Episode 13, the season finale, coming home, as you mentioned. And we actually accelerated the timeline for recording this podcast because, Bree, as soon as you watch this episode Thursday morning, you wished you had somebody to talk to. And it's a little bit late now, but we're here and we can talk. Don't tell me that's why we're recording earlier. Because <laughs> I, I thought I would have wanted to talk like yesterday morning. It would have been unfiltered. Uh, yeah, no, we're just talking planned. I have watched it twice, got the notes, and I'm just going to open with, that's the Federation headquarters? <laughs> that was my reaction when the episode opened. <laughs> yeah, it took me a couple of scenes to figure out what I was looking at. At first, I thought it was a completely new alien race. Then I thought maybe it was the 10C sending something to Earth, and it wasn't until a like I said, a couple of scenes. I think when we actually saw the Admiral in Tilly, that I was like, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, I didn't recognize this little pinwheel flying around. Like, what in the world device is this? And all of a sudden, it cuts to the crew. Uh, before it got to, I figured out right before it got to Vance and Tilly, right when it got inside, I'm like, 
oh my god, it's inside because the ship, the the headquarters, it's on its side. The star field is warping on its side. Like it, usually, when we see starships, it is uh, horizontal. Right. And here, the star field was uh, vertical. And I'm like, oh my god, they kept the science ish, and <laughs> and this is so cool. I didn't know they could do that. It's awesome. I know it's going down to disaster, but holy crap, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even notice the star field, but that's a really good point. We have never, well, I mean, first of all, I presume that if we were very visually detail-oriented, we would have recognized it because it's the same thing that Discovery went to in Season 3, Episode 5, when they first found Federation HQ. I mean, we've seen this before, right? Oh, we've seen this, the HQ, but it didn't really occur to me like that it could move like this. Right, right. I mean, I remember the first episode of DS9. I think somebody said to engage the engines and they're like, what engines? <laughs> the space stations don't move generally. And here's one with warp. So yeah, that was very unprecedented and very unexpected. Yeah. Oh, that was just neat. And then we find out that each deck is its own ship. And uh, I mean, that's just jumping ahead, but like we find out each deck is its own ship, has warp capabilities, can self-sustain. Like, holy crap, this thing is awesome. I love the future. <laughs> yeah, they planned for a lot of contingencies when they were putting this thing together, and we actually got to see it. So this is how we know we're in the future. Right? <laughs> I thought the whole, I don't know if you can call it the cold open, but everything before the intro, the title card, was mm-hmm. really intense. Like They really set a pace, and they maintained it for those whole 10 minutes, and that was on one hand, exhausting, but on the other hand, exhilarating. I really liked it. Yeah, no, that that was cool. And, you know, now I can go back to my question. You, know, you should start ask. It's like, what was your walkaway feeling with this episode? And for me, it was just like, damn, <laughs> was my one word opinion on this or feeling. So that word can mean a lot of things. Yeah, but that, that was that was how I make sure the inflection. So that sounded like a good damn. Yes. So as opposed to, ah, damn. Uh-huh. Got it. Okay. How about you? Did you have a feeling or one word? Or well, emotion or one word? That's a- yeah. I I don't know that there is, I mean, other than Federation HQ, I don't know that there was a lot about the episode that necessarily surprised me. I had a lot of fears and concerns last week about how things might go, like the Tennessee might be destroyed or this or that. Any of those things was possible. And none of those things came to pass. So I was relieved. I guess that would be my main emotion. And that's not a negative one. That's that's a good thing. That was a paragraph. We're working backwards, but you got there. <laughs> I had to figure out what the word was. I didn't come to this podcast with the word prepared like you did. You ambushed me. <laughs> I don't know if I like it. You can see this. <laughs> um. Yeah, I went through the whole range. This episode actually felt good to me. The finales have been kind of, for Discovery, have been kind of, you know, they left us feeling like flinging around, feeling all sorts of ways. And this one felt like closure for once. Where like even last season was like, really? It's a kid screaming? Or before that, like, oh my God, they just got teleported to the future? I mean... I remember at the end of episode or season three, you, Susan, and I were all disappointed that the Emerald chain just collapsed. Like that was pretty swift. Uh, I did like the last scene in season three, and it felt like if they wanted to make that the series finale, they could have, and I'm glad they didn't. 
this season, I didn't, it didn't feel like a series finale and it isn't, they've been renewed for a fifth season. So there was in some sense, a little bit less closure, but that's, that's good. I think for me, I felt like this could have been a series finale. It felt like we just ended a two part season. Uh, And like, if they had to wrap it up, it felt like this was the shape of it. We got the Federation back together again. Uh, We've got two major problems, warp travel fixed and the 10 C thing fixed. And then we close with, you know, uh, people finally taking a vacation and like I said, the Federation coming back together. This felt like it could have been the ending of discovery if they needed it to be to me. I can totally see that. And it focused back on earth, which is the origin of so many things, which is also kind of funny given that Picard, we just heard that a safe galaxy is a human galaxy. (laughs) Let's go back and focus on Earth, really, because that's what it's all about. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's what we started. Shall we uh, start digging in? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, one thing, since we're kind of talking a little bit about w- the end of the series, <laughs> they no longer have a mushroom drive. Mm. There were only two in existence. One got burnt out. No, I'm sorry. It can get fixed at Space Dock. Yeah. I forgot. Thank you. Yep. The, the only thing was we can't fix it until we get back there. And it's good. So that was another thing. And we haven't really talked about the episode yet, just the neat things we've seen or whatever. But um, sure. I was, I noticed like, okay, Discovery is really paying fast and lo- playing fast and loose with the size of the galaxy. Because we see them clearly talking with or doing stuff with Delta Quadrant people and Gamma Quadrant, which one that one obviously, but then all of a sudden it's still going to take decades for Discovery to warp back home. Like, it feels like the galaxy is as, lar- as, as large or as small as we need it to be for our plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, whatever it happens to be this week. Um, not counting spore drive and all that stuff. Well, it's kind of like when they spored to the edge of the galaxy. And just as they go into the barrier, they get a message from Federation HQ. And I'm like, yeah. how many light years must that <laughs> message have traveled? I mean, I yeah. thought that. Have they reestablished subspace communication relays? They must have, because last season, when they arrived in the future, that wasn't really much of a thing. Yeah, so it was... They're playing fast and loose. And if we dig too deep, it's going to fall apart. We just yeah. got to take the story for what it is in this time. Of course, when Michael made that decision to burn out the warp drive, or rather the spore drive, I couldn't help but compare her to Captain Janeway making the same exact decision in Caretaker. And in both cases, it was the right decision. The difference being Janeway did it to benefit an alien race and Michael did it to benefit her own race. I didn't even catch that. And of course it's Kirsten Beyer doing it. <laughs> uh, the showrunner who one of the most the biggest Voyager fans out there in the world. And of uh, course she put that in here because <laughs> that's in their lineup. What my notes is of course being a captain of the Voyager is super important because, or, you know, super big deal because Kristen, ba- Kirsten Beyer is one of the showrunners. Oh, that's right. So this season began and end with Michael being considered for a captain of the Voyager. Yeah. And so like, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's cute and cheeky. It's just like, of course, it makes sense because she just loves Voyager. <laughs> mm-hmm. cool. So let's talk about the episode. We see that Book and Tarka have continued toward the power source. Book, of course, now being in prison with Jet. And Voyager, whew, Discovery <laughs> finds a way out of the what, what are they calling it? The globe, the bubble, the uh, bubble, the, that the sphere, 
sphere yeah. bubble. Yeah. So they got out and they went after him. There wasn't much interaction with 10C during that. It was mostly what was going on on the ship. Uh, random thing to start with. I really liked that Michael figured out that one of the ambassadors had to be a sabotage, a saboteur. Yeah. And I really liked that the saboteur revealed herself. Yeah, I was put that in my notes too. Like, I'm glad we didn't have a drawn out thing of we need to figure out who done it. Just, all right, we're going to combine them. <laughs> and General Nadoya and Daya figured it out right away what they're here for. So she just gave herself up. Uh, all right, cool. Got that done in two minutes or less. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it wasn't really that interesting to me if they would have done that. So I'm glad they just kind of bypassed that. Yeah. I thought the actor did a really good job of conveying in her facial expression how she felt when she discovered that she had, in fact, put billions of lives at risk through her actions. Yeah, like telling her, like, yeah, the communication was working. And she's just like, oh, crap. (laughs) And also, Tarka has now taken Book hostage. Yeah. Um, uh, Way to go. Yeah. Uh, It didn't feel good all the way up to this point for her to do that. It felt so weird. We were talking about that before, how, like, okay, you just, no one notices you slipping away uh, to text message or or talk, and unless it was, so, like, someone who, like, uh, it wasn't book, and then it was a text message, and you didn't notice. Yep. And also, she apparently had enough access to Discovery to vent the plasma. Why? Can anybody do that? Uh, I mean, as every Star Trek series has shown us, security is as tight or as loose as it needs to be for the plot as well, <laughs> which sucks. I mean, that sucks. I mean, it makes a good story, but, like, Apparently, they get very lax in their security protocols, and they don't think anything bad's going to happen. <laughs> but for me, it's important to remember that she was representing United Earth, mm-hmm. which at this point is not even in the Federation. She's a non-Federation citizen on a Federation vessel venting plasma. Yeah. So apparently, if their kid gets access to it and just starts pushing button. Oh, do not bring your kid to work day. <laughs> Never, ever. No. Yeah, no, it's one of those things Star Trek has always had. Any random person can beam on and start pushing buttons and they get access. Mm-hmm. Now, did you anticipate that she would be the one to fly the shuttle? Uh, they were sure making it look like Detmer was going to do it. And I was like, wow, they're going to let Detmer do it. And then I'll do it. I'm like, okay. And then it didn't really matter. Yeah, well, I, yeah, There's, I agree with everything you just said. Detmer did seem like she was going to do it. And I thought, okay, this is the stake. This is the risk because we've seen characters in Star Trek die before. We lost Tasha Yar. We lost Jadzia Dax. Uh, People have left the show like Cass on Voyager. And I thought, okay, this this is in order for it to be perceived as a real threat, there has to be a real risk. Somebody has to die. And I thought, wow, I really, really like Detmer. And that's going to make her loss that much more pronounced. And in a way, I was prepared for that because it would make it a realer episode. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad we kept her because she's fantastic. And yeah, you can see the look on Owo's face. Owo uh-huh. didn't want to lose her either. She's like, my love, I don't want to lose you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and then when the general said for her, she said she would do it. If I was Michael, I would not have been so generous. I would have been like, good, you deserve it. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're not captain. <laughs> yeah, I'm the chief engineer. <laughs> and 
as you said, in the end, it didn't matter anyway, because they beamed her back just in time. Even though like, you see her slamming against the deck and, oh man, yeah. I wonder if they tested it with audiences and it felt, what they filmed felt terrible. And so they're like, okay, she's safe. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, do they have test audiences for TV episodes? I presume so, especially big ones, but I don't know. I'm huh. not a TV TV-tologist. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know anything about that goes into the production of TV, really. Huh. Yeah, and so let's see. What else happened that you want to talk about? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot. I'm just asking, where do you want to go next? Tilly. Yes. Tilly. She's large and in charge. She was <laughs> She was just, man, that confidence level of Tilly since we, I mean, she's in, since the first season to now, she was just barking orders to those cadets. You're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're freaking awesome. We're going to do this. Save those people. Yeah. And just go in. And then her, even like sticking around with Vance, having the Tilly and Vance show, uh, having drinks and turning drinks over the destruction of Earth. Uh, wow. That was some powerful stuff. Yeah. She didn't hesitate at all. She really had command of her presence. I loved seeing this version of Tilly. And the thing that really got me was clearly neither of them wanted to die, but they were ready to die. And mm-hmm. that's not a place that's easily achieved in oneself. Yeah. Um, you know, I might brought up, I don't know how much to say, but it just felt so good. It felt real. It felt like if it came to it, this would be what an ending for these characters, especially Tilly. We also got to see a lot of, or at least hear a lot of ship names. There was yeah. the Nog, mm-hmm. there was the Yelchin, both mm-hmm. named after actors we've lost. And I think in a previous episode of Transporter Lock, I talked about an article I read saying that Kenneth Mitchell was going to make a cameo this season. Uh-huh. I never saw him on screen. I never heard his voice. Maybe I missed it, but there was the USS Mitchell. Yep, that was it. That was the, that was the <laughs> reference. I so. thought I'd read that he had filmed a scene and maybe I misremembered or misunderstood, but that was definitely named after him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never known a Starfleet vessel to be named after somebody who's still alive. Uh, it is probably Hapton, but I can't, I'm not going to take the time to go down memory alpha lane. Oh yeah. That would be an exhaustive search, but off the <laughs> top of my head, I can name you several that have been named after people who are no longer with us, but yeah, a, a living person got his own Starfleet ship. That's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mr. Enterprise. No. Uh. Mr. Enterprise. <laughs> yep. Good old Mr. Enterprise. No. Um, <laughs> you know, Voy Ajur. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I mentioned Tilly because we kind of just start right past her opening there, but there, I thought it was great. I just love seeing her. But um, Bookship, my note section for Bookship. We talk about what, the events that happened on there over the course of the episode. Um. I like that in this episode, both Reno and Book had uh, they had a chance to be very frank with um, Tarka about their loved ones being gone, and it was like that was a point of acceptance for Book that he's not getting his family back, and Reno's already gone through that, and Tarka, you know, I, I think he believed it, but he also wanted to believe he's going somewhere else too. By the end, yeah. I mean, there's some cognitive dissonance there, and I can empathize with mm-hmm. that. I hope that there is an afterlife. I don't believe there is one, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it would sure be nice. 
I would love to go to Valhalla. <laughs> right. But, or Stovokor. Um, <laughs> but do I think it's real? No. Yeah. But, um, but here, I just like, here, I actually believe by the end, Tarka was, I actually like Tarka again by the end. Uh, really? Uh, the character, not him. The character again. Like last episode, my complaint was like, oh, he's the twirly mustache bad guy again. Here, <laughs> seeing him, you know, actually being allowed to be have screen presence and act and, and um, do his thing. Terrible person. Done lots of bad things, but I like the character. Huh. Uh, and his heartbreaking, like, of, like, why isn't he here? Talking about, um... Oros. Or- Oros, Oros, yeah. Yeah, he said Oro should be here. Oro should be the one stopping me from doing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'm just glad they let Tarka actually have these moments to express himself again. Unlike ap- last episode where it's, ha, ha, ha. Twist, yeah. twist. But ultimately, he didn't do anything to redeem himself. Nope. Like, he couldn't stop his own machinations. It came down to literally the last minute. And he just stood there and took it. And I I don't think I realized that he had that special interdimensional transporter with him. I thought he was going to take the power source somewhere and do something with it. But he had it with him. And he was hopeful that somehow it was still going to work. Yeah. So we don't know that he died. I presume he did because taking a power source and connecting it to your very sophisticated technology and using it is one thing. Ramming your ship into it is another. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they left it open. And I think it's not meant for us to answer. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things like, did he or didn't he? Like the top at the end of uh, Inception. Oh my gosh. I'm the only person I know who saw that movie and did not like it. Really? Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I don't. You're the first person I heard that. We don't need to go into it, but <laughs> no, I'd rather we didn't. <laughs> I'm glad I saw it because it's referenced by so many things. Mm-hmm. You know, even like the giant gong. E- sound. Even Picard, I mentioned it a couple times now. Oh, okay. Because the music they they that song that they showed in Picard so far uh, was in was the wake up song. I remember Inception. you mentioning that. Yeah, yeah. Um, back to book ship. Yeah, I love that to get out of the force field. They had to use. A cat uh, door. collar. And yes. Door. And, but I like that they kind of brought everything back together. Like, holograms and, or excuse me, holograms and holodeck has always been told it works by through force fields and photons. Mm-hmm. And so I got a kick out of that here that, yeah, Grudge's collar can get rid of the, or can break through the force field here. And him coming out surprising Tarka and using the collar and just clocking him. Yeah. That was so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Almost like, uh, what are they called? Iron Knuckles? Yeah. No, or something. Uh, yeah, 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 you got the idea. Brass knuckles. Brass knuckles. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you're going Copper for it. I can actually see what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Aluminum knuckles, whatever. Mm-hmm. No. Molybdenum knuckles. Uh, yeah, I I felt like that shot, that specific shot where he punches Tarka, I feel like the angle made it a little bit hard to see what was going on. I had to oh, rewind yeah. it. Like, I got context when Tarka hit the ground, but like, uh, but you're right. It did feel weird. The angle and the slowdown a little bit. Didn't yeah. even the slowdown didn't really show because we weren't expecting where to look. Our eyes weren't trained to look at that spot at that moment. Maybe that was intentional. They're trying to hide something like technical. <laughs> mm. But yeah. But that was still was awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. I enjoyed it a lot more the second time when I knew what was happening. <laughs> and Tarka was just out cold. He was just yeah. clocked. And I gotta wonder how much of him being punched 
led to him breaking down emotionally later because he had not been physically assaulted as as far as I recall at any point in this entire season, except maybe in flashbacks. And once he was physically vulnerable, he allowed himself to be emotionally vulnerable too. That's a good point. Yeah. Like I, I just saw an episode of Ted Lasso where I, I'll try not to spoil it, but there are these two characters who are supposed to love each other and one punches the other. And then the guy who, did the punching breaks down in tears because he's like, he he didn't regret what he had done because the other person was being an asshole, but it, that physical violence breaks something loose and makes you realize that this is not the way things are supposed to be. The, the fact that it's come to this means something is wrong and I can't ignore that anymore. That's some really good. That's cool. I like that idea. Yeah. This is my last note on the bookship section. Um, when, and speaking of feelings, when Book didn't appear on the bridge, I was actually heartbroken. I thought Star Trek actually did it. They killed him. I like, uh, and, but did not allow Michael, the captain, to cry on the bridge, which I don't know if we've ever seen before. In this way, anyway. And that was just powerful. Um, and she's still trying to hold it together for her crew. And no one's questioning her. They give her a minute, and then she gets back to duty as best she can. That was just wow. Yeah, everything about that struck me as very realistic. A captain, she was a human for a moment there, and then she had to go back to work because there was a lot more rotting on her than just her boyfriend. Yeah, uh, I don't think Sarah's been afraid to show it. Afraid isn't the right word, but they just never allowed themselves to show that. They have shown captains, you know, feel pained or sad about their decisions or even upset about their decisions to some extent, but to actually feel crying that, that powerful of sadness is not usually allowed uh, in Star Trek. When have we ever seen a romantic partner actually get killed? I would say Jadzia, but Uh, Worf, you know, he was pretty stoic. It was Cisco's wife just as the DS9 was starting. So we had no connection. That's true. We lacked context there. Yeah. Whereas I mean, here we've known these characters for two seasons, which is longer than we knew Tasha Yar. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I just love that they allowed her to do that. And damn, she is a good actress. <laughs> yeah. When did you figure out that he wasn't dead? Well, even at that moment, I still suspected maybe something's up because it looked funny. But it wasn't until um, he appeared there. I was like, She's bringing him back. Like, do the Tensi have the ability to like regen? You know, and then they kind of explained it. Like, we just held onto the beam. We weren't sure what this was. Yeah. Um, so, like, it was never like okay. They hundred percent confirmed kill him for me, but I heavily lean that way. Um, with the it's Star Trek, <laughs> we didn't see him die. <laughs> yeah, I originally thought he was gone, but then I was trying to put together the timing. He beamed over well in time. I mean, unless there was like some sort of little rewind where little they showed something wind, yeah. on the one ship and they showed the same thing on the same time on the other ship. I was like, how could they have lost that signal? It was so long in transit. So at first I thought he was dead, just like you did. But for some reason, when they said that the ship was being lowered down to a planet with a building, I was like, oh, they're going to bring him back. I don't know. For some reason, that just connected to me so when he showed yeah, back up yeah i however it didn't make me appreciate any less michael's reaction 
because she really right. thought he was dead. Even if you and I suspected he might not be, she was fully convinced he was gone. Right. Damn good. I was just some good stuff there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it did, I didn't, I didn't realize that they had just captured the beam. I that all of a sudden just like, did the beam fail? And they just like constituted him back together. Like what'd they do? And then they explained it. <laughs> yeah. They're just holding him in the transporter buffer. Huh, this is weird. Huh. <laughs> you ain't going to hold this for a bit. <laughs> Maybe they thought, I mean, it's entirely possible that Discovery was having trouble retrieving that signal. Maybe they would have failed. Uh, you know what? With how easily they just showed us Reno can get there easy. Yeah. Like when Book is like, here, take this and be back to Discovery. I'm like, what? <laughs> and apparently they said that they couldn't beam people off Book's ship unless they wanted to leave. So it's like a one way shield or something. Yeah, I guess if if bookship originated it, it would work. I okay, sure, I'll buy it. I was disappointed that when Jet appeared on the bridge, she was physically there, but um, everyone, everything was green screen. Oh, she wasn't. She was not there at the same time. Time as at least uh, Michael. Even when she went up to Michael and whispered, "He loves you. Do whatever you need to." Yeah, because it showed behind Michael, the person who was in the foreground where Michael was standing, didn't have dreads. They had long back, like blurred out hair. Oh. I was watching, and then, but they never showed um, them two like up close together, the like, same face shot. And then when Tignataro, Jet Reno walked away, it was her stunt double. Oh, I was like, ah. How do you even notice these things? I mean, you explained I, I the dreadlocks, but it just I, it just felt off because they didn't show them together. Huh. I don't know how my brain just notices those. Not always, but here it did. Like last time, I'm like, she's not there. And then here, I was like, they did a pretty good job of hiding it this time. Better job than last time. Yeah. But no, I'm like, oh, she's not in any scenes with anybody. <laughs> was she actually with Book? Um, yeah, she was actually there. So I wonder why she was permitted to act with him and not with Michael. Oh, uh, we don't know scheduling, timing, COVID at the time. We don't know when these scenes were actually filmed. Sure. And well, the same thing, um, I was going to mention it later, when that scene with Culber, Stamets, and Adir in engineering, they kept cutting away to that. It felt so weird to me. They were great. I love that little family dynamic. But the weird, like, oh, wow, they're doing it on the planet. That's awesome. They succeeded. The cutaways felt so weird to me. And I'm like, I wonder if they couldn't bring them to the planet for, like, filming, COVID, schedules, whatever. It's like, okay, we're going to put you three in engineering and have you have a little react to things you can't see. It just felt weird to me. Huh, that's interesting. I found Culber's reason for being there very plausible, but yeah, given everything else he's done this season, having him on the planet does seem like more critical to the mission. Yeah, and Col- and um, Stamets himself, um, that actor was all, engineers are always on the comms, like, Captain, the engines, I can't take it, but like here, it felt like way more, and I think COVID just really interrupted because like he wasn't on the bridge very much. He didn't directly interact with a lot of the crew for a good share of the episode. Hmm. It was always the same people, actors, and so I suspect COVID and schedules really messed with that. And it's not completely obvious if you're not looking for it, but whatever reason, my brain starts attuning to it, and yeah. So like I said, I like their little scene. I love their little family get together. I thought it was beautiful. It just felt weird that they kept cutting to it to me. Well, it's cool that they have these alternatives. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm not judging it. I'm just no, saying. No, I, I understand that you're not. Uh, 
it's not an ideal scenario, but it's also not one of their choosing. Right. So it's, it's like it's, it's cool that they can work around it. Yeah, it's like how I started playing D anD D online because I couldn't play in person from the pandemic. I turned out I actually love it, but uh, it, I made those adjustments because I had to, and it worked out. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the ten C. Yeah. First, it seems to me that Discovery's ability to communicate with ten C progressed <laughs> leaps and bounds <laughs> just within this episode. Like at one point, they. I think she said to Zora, can you explain that book and Tarka are not with us? And Zora's like, the nuance of that is going to be very hard to communicate. And then at the end of the episode, they're doing complete sentences, not just math, like three plus one equals four, but yeah, like you, I I had a loved one and you killed him and you destroyed his entire planet. I was laughing at it too. They mentioned, I heard it the first time, but I really focused on it this time. Like, oh, we've updated the language algorithms for you. And yeah, all of a sudden I see like Saru over there typing up a storm as the stenographer. Like, like, wow, these are very complex things that you are able to now communicate. Awesome. And and if I was Saru, I'd be like, do I really want to convey everything that book just said verbatim? (laughs) Maybe that was a secret. (laughs) <laughs> he's just doing you know like stop it hurts don't but then they're just having their monologue we don't know he was actually conveying <laughs> all those words to them <laughs> right it also kind of reminds me of the scene airplane where striker is like i hope it's a good thing he doesn't know how much i hate his guts and she's on <laughs> and she's on the phone it's a good thing you don't know how much he hates your guts <laughs> and books like saru i didn't mean to <laughs> fine <laughs> um yeah so i guess you no know, we don't know saru actually was communicating all that <laughs> i will say that discovery and the federation and all of humanity is very very lucky at how hostile species tendency wasn't right <laughs> like they were entirely empathetic totally willing to listen and communicate there were no threats whatsoever it was really really lucky yeah um Cool. Uh, and they had the, <laughs> I had to giggle, even though I, I can, I can science in a way or I can make up some j- jargon, but like when they turn off the DMA and just like space balls where like all the trees start planting exactly where they were yes. and the snowballs, like all the rocks. <laughs> so I didn't, I took six notes that I wanted to share with you about this episode. And the very <laughs> last one was how does debris simply go away? <laughs> That was my problem the whole episode, but apparently when you turn it off, it has like the reverse filter. Right, right. And then leaves. She's uh, gone from blow to suck. <laughs> uh, they use the shorts and just turn it around. Um, there was an interesting parallel here that may not have occurred to many people, which was that Book was encouraging Species Tennessee to collapse the hyperfield and rejoin the rest the of existence. Yeah. Yeah. And here's earth with a global shield to protect themselves from 10c suppose yeah so it, it kind of feels like a uh a a shield race to see who can get the better shields to protect themselves from each other i uh, don't know about that <laughs> well i the only reason that earth needed shields in this episode was because of 10c and if 10c hadn't been in existence or been so inadvertently aggressive the earth wouldn't have needed shields oh no they already had those shields last season well uh, the, what i meant is the only reason they u- needed it in this episode 
Okay. Like the only reason they needed to turn them on in this episode was because okay. of Species Tennessee. But if Species Tennessee hadn't built their own shields, then none of this would have happened in the first place either. So it's just shields are terrible, apparently. <laughs> I wonder if other parts of the universe or galaxy had been mined and just no one noticed until now, or if the Tennessee just built that shield and like, and you know, like within weeks, like, oh, crap. <laughs> I think they've been doing this for 900 years. That's what years. I thought. But then like, no one noticed this device until now. Unless they were mining, they could have been like mining out in space and like, oh, wow, inside of this thing is much more potent in all the made up particles we need. Um, uh, there's ways to explain around it, but I just felt weird that if this shield's been around for a while, this is the first time we've noticed them mining for it. it space is really big. <laughs> well, when the, the Discovery broached the galactic barrier, they did say that there was a lack of stars on the other side. And there are cosmological reasons for that. Uh-huh. But maybe another reason is that Species Tennessee had already mined their local space, and now they were moving into a different galaxy. Yeah. I mean, it's very possible. I can explain it away. Hmm. But just like, but if we take it for what we've gotten, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> also, one more comment on the shields. I thought it was so cool when Vance said, tell Earth to raise her shields. And then... I mean, I just thought it was such a cool line because when else in Star Trek history have we ever heard of a planet raising its shields? Yeah, we never actually heard the line. We may have seen it. We haven't talked about it. But we never actually heard the line. Yeah, there just aren't many planets out there with global shields. Like, yeah, they sometimes have like floating defense platforms to shoot things down, but a planetary shield, that's really quite rare, I think. Um Earth and Picard, alternate Earth and Picard has one too. Yes, that is true. Uh, yeah. Not 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 I just change anything you said. It just made me think of it because we saw it. So you're saying that Picard's alternate Earth is Discovery's future Earth? No, but <laughs> some people were, I, I won't get into it deeply, but some people were like, maybe Earth of that reality uses the Omega particle to power everything. If they can take down the Borg and all these things around the universe. And like, Neat. There's nothing really to explore with that comment. I just saw a random comment like, wow, man, that people are powerful. Anyway, hmm. 10C, last thing I really had to comment on there, when Book is talking to them and, and he's feeling all his feels and his uh, Kwai John little glowy thing comes up. And they all repeat that back. That was pretty damn awesome. Yeah, I thought Book was just the right person to make that case. I thought it was bold of him to say, it's not enough for you to mine uninhabited space. You need to shut it down entirely. Yeah. I could almost see the rest of the ambassadors sort of cringing because they're like, look, dude, we got a compromise mm-hmm. here. We're happy. Let's just leave it at that. And Book was like, no, no, like we need that. we need to push this. I and- had that same feeling like... <gasps> He didn't. <laughs> yeah, because these things are, as we said, a level two on the Kardashev scale, and they are physically ginormous. Like Discovery had no bargaining power here. Mm-hmm. There was nothing they could offer these aliens. Rack the Gino, that's it. <laughs> now, now, what is your take on the nature of 10C? Is it one mind, one being, or is it I mean, it's not Borg-like. We know that. Um, for me, it was felt like not a collective consciousness, but everyone. Hmm, okay, there's some like fantasy worlds in universe. Like everyone kind of shares the same dream, hmm. and uh, that may not have a one-to-one analog here, but they clearly 
they didn't really recognize self, even though they clearly have individual sides. So it's hard to explain. I wonder if I really can because I can't really feel it. But um, it's not a collective consciousness, yet they all could sense each other. Maybe that little their pool, their gas fields, helped them all kind of feel telepathically together. Mm. How about you? Did you have like something maybe you can help me? Or maybe you have your own take? It kind of reminds me of the Voyager episode Unity, mm-hmm. where they find a colony of f- former Borg, and they choose to be not reassimilated, but to form their own small collective. So to a degree, they still have individuality, but they also are able to control the society by consensus. And so I don't know, maybe there is, maybe it's more like the, the great link with Oda. Yeah. Yeah. So there are individuals, but you sort of lose yourself when you return to the great link and then you can, but you're still yourself. You can still extract the essence of who you are. Yeah, that's probably better. A good, you know, a good analogy for something we've already experienced. I like that. Yeah. Probably not one to one, but it's a dang good, dang close thing. Yeah, and they also seem to have some understanding of the concept of being more than one person. Like they didn't assume that at first about discovery, but then they figured it out just from observing discovery's behavior. It wasn't like, how is this possible? It was more of a, oh, they're not one. Yeah. So either they... Sorry. I was going to say, it's kind of neat to see in this hallway, this this civilization at a level two scale no longer has this concept of what it means to be a level one energy kind of thing. It's It's just so different that you can't comprehend. Even if your people might have been there a trillion years ago, whatever. It's just so long gone that you've forgotten what that was like. Uh, I just find that neat to explore. Yeah. I wonder how long it took this race to be a level two civilization. I wonder if the impact that destroyed their homeworld, or at least made it uninhabitable, is what motivated them to progress their technology to this point. Now, like it was sort of a catalyst to become who they are. I mean, clearly it is. It's why they built the hyperfield, but did they develop the technology to do that because of the meteor or were they already a high tech society? We'll never know, but I can't help but wonder. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Before we jump to the, talking about the whole like final part, I love the Saru and Tarina over throughout the whole episode. Like Saru, like when Tarina was trying to mind melt or, you know, speak telepathically at the beginning, if you watch, he is right there at her side. He moves in as close as he can without being obvious, um, <laughs> which is sweet. Have we seen mind melds without physical contact before? Uh, so, um, I don't think this was supposed to be exactly mind meld. I had started saying that, but I think it's just using her Vulcan vague telepathy. Okay. But she was holding her hand out. So maybe it was supposed to imply that. Or maybe it's probably wibbly wobbly. Because we've always seen that. We've seen Spock. Touch the whales. We've seen, you know, like um, uh, T'Pol has to touch um, Trip, and so I don't know if we have seen it like that before. E- if we even have. in even in Picard season one, we saw a android touch a human. Yeah, maybe in nine hundred years they figured out how to. <laughs> <laughs> 
their range extends like an inch every 50 years. Right, right. So over 900 years, they can go feet. It's, it's Yeah, maybe, maybe like that's one of the box, box powers when he was really old. He could telepathic. I mean, <gasps> oh, no. You have seen something kind of like that with Trip and T'Pol. Oh, wait. Was that the books? Was that the books? No, no. In the show, they were able to speak. They were linked telepathically over long distances in the show, too. I mean, I know that Riker and Troy were, especially in that very first yeah. episode. But no, this has huh. to do with Vulcan. Yeah, T'Pol and Trip were connected um, over vast different distances. So there's some loose precedent. I'm not saying this is a one-to-one exactly what they were doing. but yeah. I mean, especially with those two, though, with yeah. Trip and T'Pol, they had a prior relationship. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But even within like the timeline from Enterprise to next-gen era, Yep. Uh, mind melding became kosher. And so maybe they've learned new things over 900 years. That's right. Well, they returned to the teachings of Surak. And that enabled all sorts of things. Yeah. Who knows what other philosophical texts they rediscovered in those 900 years <laughs> of discovery. Ferengi bartender. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that last scene. I saw that Ferengi behind the bar. I thought it was a great homage to Quarks. And Tilly got to be reunited with her crew for a little while. And we uh, saw the Admiral and the President reunited as well. Uh, I, that scene in the bar, and whatever they call it, on Discovery, all their reactions, except for when they, you know, they're talking to each other, their reactions when they were slowly panning around felt genuine to me. I was like, I wonder if they just like actually were meeting up for the first time for a while or something like that. A lot of those things feel fake. Here it felt real to me. I made a related note, which is at the very end of that scene, you saw everybody jumping up and down with joy. Uh-huh. And I tried to imagine any other Star Trek crew doing that. Like, can you imagine Worf and Riker and Data jumping up and down? Can you imagine Archer and T'Pol and Trip? No, no, no. Spock, McCoy, and Kirk. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. Right. Not, not outside of, you know, those bloopers, you see those... You know, like the cutting reel or cutting floor, room floor yeah, things. Yeah, and the intakes. You, uh-huh. yeah. But no, you're right. <laughs> I mean, it's not just that we haven't seen it. It's also that I can't imagine it. Yeah. like, Well, it's because like Star Trek was filmed in a certain way. You did these XYZ things. You don't stray from it very much for so long. And Discovery has been allowed to like let these characters be more human. Like it's just themselves than a lot of Star Treks have allowed their actors to be. I do think a lot of the Discovery crew skews younger, like Tilly, Detmer, Owo, Rice, Bryce, Reese, whatever. <laughs> but then again, I think TNG, most of those actors were probably in their mid to late 20s as well when they, they started. Yeah. So I, at first I thought, oh, that's the reason why they're so enthusiastic and exuberant is because they have youthful energy. And then I'm like, but so did everybody else. They yeah. just didn't show it. I mean, older Star Trek was my, like, the military rigidity, you know, mm-hmm. more or less, you know, like, you know what I mean? Just in general. Yeah. And here they're allowed, they still do that, but here they're allowed to be themselves a bit. Yeah. I like it. Me too. Cause it's what would happen in real life, you know? Yep. You and I have talked about how toxic is the right word, fandom can be. Mm -hmm. And I was in the Star Trek Discovery subreddit today, generally a great place to be, in my opinion. And there was a post from the mod saying, hey, a lot of the mods here are dealing with real-life things, and it makes it difficult for us to moderate this subreddit in a timely fashion. 
but please do keep submitting reports. We will eventually get to them and we appreciate your patience. There were a lot of people commenting, thank you so much for what you do. We appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. And then there were other people who were like, if you can't stand your feelings being hurt, then maybe you shouldn't be in this Reddit. (laughs) And other people agreeing with that said, yeah, we're so sick of how much this season is all about emotions. There was one person in particular, I wish I had the comment pulled up in front of me, that said uh, this was somebody defending fandom and Star Trek Mm -hmm. and Discovery, saying, we are tired of emotionality being seen as a weakness. Uh And I was like, yeah, me too. That's one of the reasons I love Discovery. And that's what you and I were just talking about, is that everybody is allowed to have feelings. Like on TNG... Almost everybody went to see Deanna Troy at one point in their career, and they didn't have to be in crisis to do it. It was just a routine part of being on the Enterprise. And this we haven't seen that in a long time, and we're kind of coming back to that more so. And I think that's a great thing because not only is it more realistic, but it's also what we as a people who are living through a pandemic and are all in a constant state of crisis need to see being normalized. I remember seeing lots of jokes about like, even in the last five, 10, 15 years, maybe not five, but uh, people making fun of the idea that TNG had a counselor on the bridge. And now I'm like, and I, I think I kind of feel like, yeah, that is kind of weird. But even now I'm like, yes, this is smart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at all the weird stuff TNG went through. Uh-huh. And that's not even counting her empathy or like beta's light power. It's just like having a counselor on the bridge. That sounds like a brilliant idea. Yeah, just somebody to talk to. Oh my God. Yes, please. I've been having trouble finding such a person myself in the pandemic due to how state licensure works. And if I could have somebody like that to talk to, I uh-huh. would. Right. Uh to add to the toxicity comment, I saw someone tweet out I don't I don't have the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of anybody who has the problems of discovery being more empathetic and quote unquote woke is gonna absolutely hate this last scene where you have a black female captain with a black mil- female military leader with a black female president and the closing shot is over Africa. Like <laughs> it's not uh, just that though. No, it's- no, but it's just if if, if that person, if those toxic people hate all that, they're going to hate this. <laughs> yeah, but you forgot the most critical reason why they might hate that last scene is because of who was playing the president. Oh, yeah. No, there, and there's that too, which, wow. Like, when I first saw Stacey Abrams in there, it didn't register to me that an hour later, like, holy, wait, that was. Because <laughs> I missed, I watched it before internet was talking about it on Twitter. <sighs> and so I didn't, like, it didn't make one, like, she's familiar. And then, like, an hour later, Oh, I <laughs> <laughs> see. I watched the show last night. Uh-huh. I had not seen any Twitter talk about it. So I didn't know what was to expect. I didn't know we were going to meet the president at all. And when the shuttle door opens and it's her, my first thought was that's not Stacey Abrams. <laughs> Cause I was like, why would Star Trek do that? Why would they be so overtly political? And I found it a little distracting. I mean, let, let's be clear. I love Stacey Abrams Uh and she is amazing. And I thought she did well in this scene, but I couldn't see her as anybody but Stacey Abrams. Oh, really? I mean, it helped because I didn't, I didn't make the connection immediately, but apparently she's a huge Trekkie during uh, the presidential election. She did like a, I don't remember the exact wording. This isn't the wording, but like a Trek the vote uh, for Biden. Something like that. Yes. She's a huge Trekkie. And so they asked her to do this and she said, yes. 
you know what? I think I actually attended that fundraiser. <laughs> I forgot that was an online thing. I think there were a couple of Trek the Votes, and one of them may have been a Voyager crew and cast reunion. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that it was to benefit liberals in Georgia. Wow. Yeah. I've been a few years, huh? It's been a long 10 years since two years ago. Uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but the whole final scene, um, we got closure for a book. I'm glad that the future Federation's um, punishment is rehabilitation and not like penal colonies like Tom Paris is in. It's all about rehabilitation. You know, that's a good point. When I saw that, my thought was, wow, he's getting off easy. But at the same time, even in modern times here on Earth, I have been advocating quietly for our penal system being more rehabilitative and less punitive. You know, like I support nonprofits like Puppies Behind Bars, which is an organization that helps prisoners train dogs to be bomb sniffing animals. And not only does that have a positive product as an outcome, but it also teaches the inmates responsibility and gives them something to look forward to and something to feel good about themselves. And so you're right. Book is, I hope, doing the same thing. He's being, he's engaging with the people that he hurt. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, I mean, he's already been a pretty empathetic person, but really experiencing the consequences of his actions directly. Yeah. Yeah, so I appreciated that. I like that a lot. Because um, I've been talking about, like, I don't know how he's going to make it through this without punishment. Like, I don't know how. And you guys get to show it here. Um, right when Book was beamed away, and Grudge, um, hmm. Michael started her monologue about what's been going on. And for a few notes, we got the TOS theme in the background, which I thought was kind of neat. Um, uh, talking about the, the joy and hope of the Federation. And then she's talking about it. I got a kick out of the, of course, the very stubborn Tellarites did ne- never left the Federation <laughs> when everyone else had. <laughs> she didn't phrase it like that, but that is nope. an accurate observation. <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so everyone's going on vacation. Finally. Yep. Their four year long nightmare is finally over. Um, and, um, the reason, the thing that impetus that made me want to have reactions to have someone to talk to right away, I didn't expect it coming. When President of Earth, not the Doctor, Stacey Abrams, came out, and they were talking about having, uh, they were going to talk about bringing Earth back into the Federation. When she said, "There's nothing to discuss," both times I watched this, Earth, United Earth is ready to rejoin the Federation. I started tearing up. Oh. I didn't know that reaction was going to come. It just happened. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> that was even before I remembered it was Stacey Abrams. Why do you think you felt that way? It felt, I, I you know, I was trying, to, I've been trying to answer that. And I think it was just a good release of like, all right, everyone's home again. Star Trek's been a big part of it for our lives for so long. Earth isn't there. Remember how it was a shock it was when Earth wasn't there? And it wasn't even just that it was Earth. I just felt like, Wow. This has been an emotional season, an emotional episode, and something good happened. Like again, yeah. like that felt more personal and not just some alien group on the other side of the galaxy, literally. Um, just damn, that felt good. <laughs> yeah. 
I could totally see President Abrams saying that this galactic threat that they just experienced was due to the Federation's meddling, and they're not willing to engage with that body at this time. And yet it actually went the other way. And I really yeah. like that. Um, once it was revealed that the president, Stacey Abrams, at the end made her uh, past scene of the episode more heroic because Vance is like, Admiral Vance is like, uh, is the president left Earth yet? And they're like, no, she's refusing to leave until people are on the ships. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden, like 40 minutes later, reveal who's playing the president. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't make that connection. That's a good catch. Although when she pulled Michael aside for a little speech, they didn't actually have anything confidential to say. She just wanted a private moment. Yeah. I was just expecting more substance in oh. that little exchange is all. No, it was a moment for Michael to shine. And Stacy to be talk about it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the end. I should have also mentioned at the beginning of the episode. I don't know if you noticed this. I think it was true for only the final two episodes of the season. In the final shot of the credit sequence at the opening, when Discovery is flying toward the screen and the TOS tones are playing, mm-hmm. the background is lit up almost like the DMA. No, I was There's watching like, for differences. I didn't catch it. Yeah, it was subtle because it's almost the same color as the background, but it is like the background is almost on fire in a sense. Oh. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, they don't often make changes that late in the season and for so few episodes. I'll admit, maybe it was there longer and I never noticed, but I watched (laughs) the opening every single week. I have never skipped it once, and I feel like I would have picked up on it sooner. So I don't know why they decided to do it then, but they did. Yeah, that's all my notes. Yeah, and we will be doing a separate podcast where we recap the whole season and talk about everything that's happened and our overall feel of it and how it ranks compared to other Discovery seasons. Uh, maybe we'll start comparing who's the better president, Stacey Abrams or Annika Hansen. Or the doctor. Which doctor is this? <laughs> the doctor. Uh, <laughs> Voyager's doctor in one of the holodeck episodes. Uh, the Captain Proton episodes, he played President of Earth. <laughs> oh, I didn't he understand huge, what you were referring to earlier. He had a huge badge, too. It was a massive on his jacket. President of Earth. Like, like <laughs> half his jacket. It was great. <laughs> I need to go find that. I did not know that or remember it. Cool. Well, anything else about this episode in the, until next week when we talk about the whole season? Nope. That's all I had. Yeah, I, I liked the episode, and I think having talked to you now, I like it even more. You didn't change my mind about anything, but you helped me appreciate things that I may have missed the first time. So thank you. Cool. Yeah, just compare it to past. You're welcome. Compare it to past season enders. I like this one probably like one of the most of yeah. my discovery. I mean, every season had something good happen. Like season one, Burnham was no longer an outcast. She was reinstated to Starfleet. Season two, she reconnected with Spock. Season three, she helped bring the Federation back together and destroy the Emerald Chain. Season four, Earth. So, yeah, we'll we'll talk more about those overarching themes next week. But in the end, uh, this was a really good episode, and I'm looking forward to season five. Cool. Yeah. Until next time. Quakoni Yaquan. <laughs> I got to tell you, I was watching that scene with subtitles. And no matter which character was saying it, it was spelled the same way. (laughs) Potato, potato.
If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com.